Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and lemon drop Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and load-bearing bar matron Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Selfless, the fifth episode of season seven. Selfless aired on October 22nd, 2002, and was written by Drew Goddard and directed by David Solomon. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that, and we'll feel what it's like to have our hearts ripped out. My protein window closes in an hour. Let's go on patrol. In Selfless, Dawn gives Willow super helpful advice about how to get along when she goes back to campus. People may say something to you you don't understand. Just don't be afraid to keep your mouth shut and pretend like you know what they're saying. Xander and Buffy talk about Anya. He wants to reconnect with Anya. You know, just as friends. Buffy worries about the vengeance demon thing, but Xander says she's changed. Meanwhile, at a fraternity carpeted with the bloodied bodies of young college boys, Anya sits covered in blood, wondering what she's done. After the credits, we go back 1,200 years to see Anya as her human self, odd, snuggling bunnies and coddling Olaf, her boyfriend. She's jealous of a bar matron, and he convinces her that he doesn't want anyone but her. In the present, Anya desperately washes the blood off her hands. In the school basement, Buffy sits with Spike and listens as he reminisces about Drew and then pulls away from her. She reaches out to comfort him. And then Buffy walks in, but it's a different Buffy, a real Buffy. And she's not quite so gentle with him. She tells him the basement is evil and he needs to get up and get out of it. But Spike says he has nowhere else to go. On campus, Willow talks to her professor about getting caught up and then sees Anya slinking out of the frat house. Anya tries to cover by saying she has a boyfriend in the frat house and Willow's happy for her until she sees the smudge of blood on Anya's arm. Willow goes into the frat house and finds the place covered in blood. She hears a plaintive noise and opens a closet door to find a weeping girl trying to take her wish back. The girl tells the story of how she was humiliated by the frat boys. And then she made a wish. And I yelled just once. I wish you could all feel what it's like to have your hearts ripped out. Willow asks the girl where the spider is. As we see the spider crawling up the wall behind her, the spider jumps at Willow and she uses her magic to hold it back, going black-eyed and snapping at the crying girl before throwing the spider out the window. Back in Sweden, we see the townspeople come after Olaf the troll while Odd watches. De Hoffren shows up at her side, asking her how she did it, and she tells him. He calls her Anyanka, offering her a new job and a new life, wreaking vengeance upon those who deserve it. They all deserve it. That's where I was going with that, yeah. In the present, Anya hangs out with Halfrek, who is thrilled at Anya's wicked vengeance, but Anya is struggling with all of the violence and the blood. She figures she's just rusty. Willow busts in and kicks Halfrek out, then challenges Anya about the frat house. Anya says they got what they deserved, but she doesn't seem to really believe her own words. Xander and Buffy go out and hunt the spider down, and they find a boy's body with the heart ripped out. The spider jumps down from a tree and Buffy fights it, burying an axe in its back. When they go home, they find Willow there and she tells them it was Anya. Xander is upset that Willow didn't tell them before, but Buffy knows exactly why Willow waited. She didn't tell us because she knows what I have to do. I have to kill Anya. It's St. Petersburg in 1905 and Anya and Halfrek are enjoying a nice meal, some good wine, 
and the Russian Revolution over a banquet room full of bloodied corpses. Halfrek salutes Anya and says she should enjoy the bloodshed, but Anya's all about the work. I don't need anything else. Vengeance is what I am. Back at Buffy's, Xander and Buffy argue over what she has to do. He argues that they help their friends when they go all crazy and try to kill people. Buffy says it's different with Willow because Willow is human while Anya is a demon. There has to be another way. Then please find it. Xander leaves and Buffy grabs a sword and heads out. Willow hangs back and summons to Hoffren. He's happy to see her and compliments her on the flaying of Warren Mears, but Willow wants to talk about Anya. At the frat house, Anya is looking at the blood on the walls when Xander comes in and tries to talk to her, but Anya is not really interested in his apologies. Xander says that Buffy's coming to kill her, but Anya's not worried. She says they all knew that eventually it would come to this. Anya goes all demon-faced and she and Buffy fight. Buffy apologizes and then stabs Anya through the chest. Then we go back in time to the musical episode and, well, this happens. I found my guy and I'll be missus. I'll be his missus. Mrs. Anya Lamas made up maiden name Paris. Okay. Back in the now, Anya wakes up and pulls the sword from her chest because, as we all learned with Halfrek back in Older and Far Away, it takes more than a sword through the heart to dispense of a vengeance demon. Buffy knew that, too. She was just getting started. The two continue to fight, but then Dehoffrin shows up and marvels that everyone is trying to impose what they want for Anya, but no one has asked what Anya wants. So Anya says what she wants. I want to take it back. I want to undo what I did. The Hoffman reminds her of the cost of restoring the lives of dead victims. It's the life and soul of a vengeance demon. Anya accepts the cost with Xander Box. Anya insists and De Hoffman agrees. He snaps his fingers and Halfrek appears, not understanding what's going on. De Hoffman destroys Halfrek and Anya asks why. Haven't I taught you anything, Anya? Never go for the kill when you can go for the pain. The Hoffrin kicks her out of the fold and makes her human again. She tells him he should have killed her and he says, from beneath you, it devours. So apparently he's gotten the season seven theme memo. He disappears and Anya stumbles out of the frat house. Sandra follows her out. She thanks him for everything. As he starts to walk away, she calls his name. What if I'm really nobody? Don't be a dope. I'm a dope. Sometimes. That's a start. All right, Noelle, so here we are in Selfless. Yes. Which is an episode that is is kind of mixed for me, but usually I end up really, really liking it. But what is your overall impression of Selfless? How do you like this episode? I love this episode. There is so much delight here, and it is so much fun to see a wider range of Anya. It really, really is. And, you know, I love an identity story and a love story between a person and their work. And here we have neither of those things working out for Anya, (laughs) which really makes it fun to think about. So this one is like right up my alley. Um, But there's so much stuff to talk about with this episode. The thing like I always have for every episode of Buffy if I remember it at all, there are some where I look at the thing and I'm like, which episode was that again? You know, but there's usually one identifying moment for me with 
in an episode that I'm like, oh, it's that one. And for this one, it's that song yes. from the Once More with Feeling timeline. It. Yeah. Which I hate and you love. So that's going to be fun <laughs> to talk about that later. But uh, but let's talk a little bit about like fitting in, which is kind of what we open with with Dawn yeah. and the true self. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say we have, you know, a... a identity story and a love story between a person and their work. And we have neither of those, which I think you're right. But I also, I don't know, maybe it's not that simple um, Mm -hmm. because it is an identity story for Anya in a big way. Oh, no, we have a ton of I'm sorry, I misspoke. We have a ton of identity stories. Like it's absolutely an identity. It just isn't working for Anya. Like it's not enough. Got it. Got it. That's what I'm saying. No, absolutely. Well, Yeah. yeah, because it's so... I mean, there's this there's this constant push pull between the ideas of fitting in versus the quote unquote true self, which we'll get to in a minute. Mm-hmm. But I love. Yes, I love that that overall this is an episode about Anya and where she fits in in life in general, what her place is. And we open with Dawn giving this advice to Willow about going back to school. My advice to you is do whatever everyone else does all the time. And I'm like, (laughs) actually? Like, that's, like, it's very interesting. And in that same scene, we get Buffy saying to Xander, strong, successful males say giddy, to which I say, Mm -hmm. why the fuck not? But the reason why the fuck not is that we are looking at these social scripts right we like we're setting up the episode with this i mean it's humorous but it's pointed mm-hmm. you know these reminders that there are these social scripts to follow that there are roles to play and ways to behave based on gender class relationship status and so on mm-hmm. and the scene ends with xander saying of anya i really think she's coming around which is interesting because then we cut to Anya bloodied on the floor and sort of coming to after granting a wish, mm-hmm. you know, coming around as in looping back to the beginning, remembering where she started. I don't know. It's a linguistic stretch, maybe, but I like it because Anya in that moment asks, what have I done? And she's probably yeah. referring to the Abercrombie and Fitch catalogs lauder. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite lines. So good. Oh, my God. Like, (laughs) side note, every Dehoffrin line, every Dehoffrin line in this episode is gold. Dehoffrin gets pretty much all the good lines. But, Mm -hmm. you know, so she says, she asks, what have I done? And she could, I mean, very easily be referring to the scene that we have just you know, panned across all of these dead Mm -hmm. fraternity brothers. But she could also just as easily be reflecting on her entire life. Mm -hmm. Because then from the opening credits, we go to, what is it, ninth century, maybe Sweden? (laughs) I'm presuming it's it's, it's Swedish. It's Swedish is what it is. It's Swedish. It is Swedish. Yes, absolutely. And we see that before Anya was Anya, she was Mm -hmm. odd. She was a human. And she was odd. She was odd. Odd, I like that she was odd. I love that she was odd. And there's that's Mm -hmm. not even 
and that's not even a big a, a, as big a stretch um, as it might be. There was there is some lore about a Swedish queen named Aud. Mm-hmm. So Aww. you know, it's a real it's it's a real name, which is cool. Um, but of course, Aud is odd, as <laughs> Olaf tells yes. her she she isn't well liked because you speak your mind and are annoying. <laughs> which I just I just love the ridiculous Swedish chef Swedish they're speaking and the subtitles and how yes. goofy <laughs> that whole thing is. Um and I mean let's hear it for um for Olaf and Anya pulling off like the <laughs> weird pseudo Swedish yeah, kind so, of like it, it was fun to listen to as somebody who understands none of it. It's great. It's great. Yeah. yeah. I I love it. I love how goofy mm-hmm. that is and how they just they just sell it so well. Yeah. Um but we hear about her like the first things we hear about this human who we will later know as Anya is that she speaks mm-hmm. her mind. She annoys people. And later she tells us I don't talk to people much. I mean, I talk to them, but they don't talk to me, except to say that your questions are irksome and perhaps you should take your furs and your literal interpretations to the other side of the river, (laughs) which I just adore. Anya has never fit in. The ex-demon who doesn't know how to human is compelling. And that's what we've seen so far with her. But I love the new revelation that Anya didn't know how to human when she was a human. Mm -hmm. But she's always wanted to be part of the group. Mm -hmm. Her desire to try to contribute to the town by giving away surplus rabbits to her neighbors is shot down immediately by the man in her yeah. life. And I cannot help but think about how more than once Anya has had a great suggestion or a fantastic take on a situation. And Xander has shot that down. Well, Xander shot down almost everything she ever said. Yeah. I mean, she almost never opened her mouth without Xander taking some kind of shot at her. It's true. So, yeah. It's true. And uh, usually she was brilliant. The reason why anybody survived the events of the gift is because of Anya. Yeah. I mean, two, so two is not a pattern, right? But I like mm-hmm. the detail here that a previous partner responded to Anya the way Xander responds to her. At mm-hmm. some core level, who Anya is and how she expresses herself is out of sync with the people in her life, specifically the men in her life. Yeah. I like that Anya has pretty much always been Anya as far as we can tell. Right, but isn't it Dehofren? He shows up and tells her who she is. Like, here we have yet another man defining her. Well, it's interesting. That that is really interesting because Dehofren tells Anya that she's essentially a natural-born vengeance demon, right? And he says, Mm -hmm. I'm afraid you don't see your true self. He calls her Anyanka and she corrects him. And he says, but Anyanka is who you are. And what I find so fascinating about this is that there's no evidence that there's anything more true self-ish about Anya creatively cursing her ex than there is about Anya wanting to share her bounty of bunnies. Dehofren mm-hmm. is just another man projecting something onto Anya, but she accepts it because he appreciates her. Mm-hmm. At least that's my take on it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I think absolutely, you know, and being accepted and appreciated is important. 
I mean, ideally, we'd all have an intrinsic sense of our own value. And just because you don't feel it doesn't mean you don't have it. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with needing praise and recognition and external validation. Being part Mm -hmm. of the group is important to human survival and praise and acknowledgement is part of that. I'm speaking to everyone, but especially to my words of affirmation, love language people. (laughs) You know, you're valuable. You're doing a great job. And I'm glad you're here. (laughs) So if Anya is a natural born anything, I would argue that she's a natural born teammate and group member. In 1905, Halfrek is trying to get Anya to think about life when she's talking about work, and Anya overlaps the two. A community of wronged women is her life because that's where she fits in. That's the community that ostensibly needs her. I think more than anything, Anya has this real need to be needed, to be a valued and valuable member of a partnership or a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that she she needs to have a role to play. You know, she needs to have something that she does. Right. And she essentially identifies herself through the men that she's with. And then when she's not with any men, she identifies herself. I am vengeance. Yeah. Right. Vengeance is what I am, you know, and that's how she defines herself. And so trying to find what it is because she really does she says at the end you know i just i attach to whatever comes along Mm -hmm. you know and finding out what she is and then of course at the end we have xander saying you're a dope and she's like i'm a dope well i guess that's a start no it's not a fucking start don't listen to xander how long do i I have to tell you anya don't listen to xander i love that scene like i don't know i love it no what's so funny is that there's so much in this that i hate that you love and that's awesome i mean it's it's It is really funny to me how much I love this episode, Um, Mm -hmm. partly because I think we're finally, maybe for the first time, really in Anya's emotional experience. We're not seeing Anya. I think it is the first time. Yeah, we're not really seeing Anya from the outside. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see her from the outside a little bit, but most of what we see is it's a much deeper Anya than we've gotten before. Yeah. And I I just love it. And I love the way the just the visual of the episode supports that. Mm-hmm. I love that we move from our grainy sepia to full color when de Hoffren appears because that memory mm-hmm. is clearer for Anya than everything else surrounding mm-hmm. it. It's such a great visual shorthand for the way memory works, that we may have a mm-hmm. we may remember a certain time or place or how something felt, but then there are these points of absolute clarity. And I think that that's what's happening when we shift from this kind of it it's silly, but it works for me. Mm-hmm. This like this faux old film to mm-hmm. what we're used to the show looking like. Be- yeah. Because that's such a that's such a pivotal moment for Anya. I mean, that's where she becomes Anyanka effectively because De Hoffren tells her that's who she is. Right. Mm-hmm. But I lo- I don't know. I just love how we make that shift and then we are able to seamlessly 
transition from, you know, Muppet Swedish to spoken English <laughs> to regular English for reasons of I whatever well, reasons, for reasons of whatever like reasons why would she suddenly know English because the Hoffman makes her know English is that it no and especially in English that wasn't going to exist for another 1200 years I mean like or is this just her memory translating everything into her current reality into her current sense of self it's the clarity of memory and we need that as an mm-hmm. audience like yeah. we could have them speaking, we could have them speaking. It would probably be Old Norse. I don't know what they would be speaking, but we could have them Swedish, you know, like <laughs> Swedish, Swedish. Yes. We could have them speaking very clearly in a language that was not English, but because it is a, and it is an American television series, they're speaking English yeah. because we need to understand what's going on here and because we need to feel that there's there's no longer the distance yeah like when you're watching through scratched sepia tones and people speaking Swedish, yeah. right um then there's a distance between you and them you have to read the subtitles you have to kind of like there's a there's a processing that's involved whereas the moment the hoffman shows up everything clears up we're speaking english um and the audience experiences it rather than watches yeah it. yeah yeah which is, I would argue, Anya's experience as well, that she may mm-hmm. have these kind of fuzzy memories of Olaf and her life before she met de Hoffren. But then when de Hoffren mm-hmm. comes into the picture, you know, quite literally on screen, everything is much clearer. And she it's the first time she has this sense of clarity, right? That he says, yeah. like, this, you know, basically you're born to do this. And she's the one who hits on the word vengeance. She says mm-hmm. it before he does. And you can almost see that light bulb go off for her of, oh, maybe mm-hmm. this is what I'm for. It's right. It's right. really, really And good. then we had Halfrek back in Older and Far Away, right? Yeah. Halfrek references, we prefer Justice Demon, yeah. FYI, right? And so Halfrek may view that in a different way. And so I'm wondering, though, if Dehofren is just making demons who choose, whether it be vengeance, whether it be justice, whether it be whatever, that they're all choosing you know, the plot of land upon which to plant their flag and that he doesn't care if it's vengeance or whatever. Although he does talk when he talks to Willow, he says that was some water cooler vengeance. Everybody's been talking about, you know, Um, but that's interesting. Um, And, you know, as we're talking about the flashbacks, uh, like everybody who's listening to me for any period of time knows that I hate flashbacks generally. (laughs) Then I generally hate dream sequences for reasons of there's something that like a writer will tend to go to without necessarily using it to its full, you know, purpose. And um, and I find that breaks in the timeline need to be made worth it. Right. Um, these flashbacks are not really worth it. I don't feel like we get enough like, yes. Oh, it's really cute seeing her snuggle the bunnies because we know she hates bunnies. Oh, it's cute seeing her side with the proletariat and the Russian Revolution because we know she's a capitalist. You know, like there's all of these things that are like, yeah, they're like Easter egg funny that they they're they're fun and funny if you know the history of it, you know, and um, and, it, you know, we're bringing Olaf back who she turned into a troll. We saw that in Triangle. So we're having all of these references to Anya's experience and and kind of filling out Anya's history. 
but I am not convinced that they're all that helpful. And what's really funny is that I actually do really like this episode for somebody who complains about a good chunk <laughs> of it. Like I really do. I love that we get an Anya centric episode. I love that we're in her POV. Um, I love the choice that we make her make. I mean, choices are everything in fiction and seeing her being able to make a really difficult choice and then getting a monkey's paw out of that wish. Like all of that, I think is just absolutely wonderful. I just want more of that and less of the flashbacks. And I got to tell you, I hate the fucking musical number. I think it's so cringeworthy awful but i want to hear how much you love oh, it i love, love it. that you love it i mm-hmm. love it okay first of all i think cringeworthy is an interesting phrase because i saw this just the other day on twitter and i wish i knew who to credit for it um if you're out there listening i'm so sorry but i saw the suggestion that what we call cringe culture is so often connected to joy And that is what I love about this musical number. I mean, Emma Caulfield Mm -hmm. is a joy to behold, right? She's just, I would watch her sing and dance all the time. But I love that Anya is so happy. She is Mm -hmm. so happy in this musical number. And it is just a delight to see because Anya has this deep-seated desire to be part of something and to care for uh-huh. other people. I mean, one of the very first things we learn about Odd is that she wants to share her bunny surplus with the community <laughs> for no reason other than it feels good to do something for other people. And yeah, this is funny because we know about Anya and bunnies and we know about Anya and money exchanged for goods and services mm-hmm. in the present. But you know, this is the past and this is the earliest, this is the earliest we see of her. And it is maybe her earliest memory of her human self. I don't know. I don't know how memory works when you've been a yeah. human and a vengeance demon and then a human and then a vengeance demon again. Mm-hmm. But what I love about this musical, other than you know, if we're going to go back in time to Once More with Feeling, of course we have to have a musical number. Like, of course we do. Yeah, I love <laughs> I love that she's hit her caring stride as the future mm-hmm. Mrs. Harris. And it makes me happy and excited for her in a way that I never really was when we were gearing up for mm-hmm. the Anya Xander wedding. It always felt very mm-hmm. like sort of surface level funny, um, you yeah. know, that Anya is oh Anya is planning this wedding and she's so uh type a about it and and you know she's so direct about planning a wedding and isn't it funny um because she did seem kind of emotionless and this musical number is just like all emotion that's all it is and I don't know if this is just the musical format working on me or if it's because we spend so much of this episode deep in Anya's emotional POV, but I see her pre-wedding excitement here, not just as relief at having won the IRL game of life, as it were, but as a relief at having found a place where she fits in. She seems in this moment, she seems to really believe that she has found her fit. And for Mm -hmm. a misfit, for somebody who is outside of every space that she has tried to 
occupy and participate in. Like it's this really beautiful moment of clarity for her. Mm-hmm. And I just love it. And then we get that hard cut at the end of the musical number. We, she doesn't even get to finish the musical number. Yeah. To Anya in the frat house stabbed through the heart. Mm-hmm. And she's just, I mean, she is silent and sort of, I mean, she looks dead. We know she's not for a number of reasons, but she looks dead for a moment. And then she says, I forgot how much swords through the chest hurt. And that is a richly layered line, if I ever heard one. I mean, (laughs) Anya may have had a literal sword through the heart in the past. It seems to come with the demon territory. People seem to want to stab you with pointy things. But she's also had some figurative swords through the heart. So to cut that excitement and joy short, when she's literally in the wedding dress that she's wearing, which is another, that's another detail I love in Once More With Feeling. I don't think we get any of those magical musical costume changes where somebody goes (laughs) through a doorway or, you know, drops out of frame and then suddenly they're wearing something different. And yeah, we don't get that sweet, but he's magical. Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't sweets outfit changes. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. but and he, but he calls attention to it. He's doing yeah. a thing. He's like, yeah, look at this. Yeah. But she's we're so deep in the emotion of the moment and the song that when she goes through the doorway and out onto mm-hmm. the balcony and out into the world as a bride. We get a literal costume change. It's so rad. <laughs> but then, of course, she's not able to complete that song because she was not able to complete that vision of a life for herself where she fit in as mm-hmm. Mrs. Xander Harris. It's, it is so good and so heartbreaking. <laughs> and I love it so much. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I love your belonging read to this, right? Um, I've never really seen, I mean, clearly, like, you've got a lot of very, very solid textual evidence for that read. I like it a lot. Um, But I, I see this history of Anya's identity being not only decided by the men that are around her, but she hands it over to them and says, tell me what I am. And then this entire song is just her being like, this man, this man, okay, this dude, mm-hmm. right, Xander, yeah. who is sitting there snoring and drooling all over the place while she is dancing and doing everything and planning everything and this whole thing that her entire existence is defined by him, that she is literally giving up the name that she made for herself so that she can be Mrs. Lamas made-up name Harris, Right. So that and the whole thing is I will be his missus. I will be his missus. This is what I am. I am his. I like the she is handing over everything of herself to this man to redefine. And it's a man who does not even respect her. It's a man who shoots her down at every like turn. It's just like I I hate it for that because I find that unbelievably irritating. I hate it for the song itself, which I think is a terrible song. Like I don't know, like I'm not 
I'm not a music person. It may be like wonderful to people who are music people, but it sounds like a crappy ass song to me. It's just a bad song. It's a bad moment. Um, you know, this idea of cringe being associated with joy is something I'm going to be thinking about for a good long time because I, I my first response is not wrong, you know, um, but it's not even like Anya's um, joy here that for me is cringeworthy. It's that the song is terrible and that she's, she's uh, subsuming her identity to this dude, you know, that this is everything that she is. So for me, like I come to this as, uh, as the ultimate identity story for Anya, where she is trying to figure out who she is. And she is always defining herself through these men who are, let's face it, not terribly worthy, you know? Um, so for me, like that whole run, I think is, is just, ugh, you know, like I, I, the, my least favorite part of this entire episode is that musical number for those reasons. But I think that you have a really, really lovely read on it. And the next time I watch it, I'm going to try to like convince myself of your read well, you, and see that there more because otherwise it's just too. Ugh, I mean, I don't think you have crazy. to convince yourself of my read if it doesn't like if that doesn't work for you. I don't. I guess right. I no. I prefer your. Read. I don't like. I would like her, to believe your read. <laughs> what's interesting to me is that I don't see her losing an identity in that in that moment. She yeah. She advocates for her identity with De Hoffren. You know, she says my why he addresses her as Anyanka and she says, essentially asks, like, why are you calling me that? My name is Odd. And he says, but Anyanka mm-hmm. is who you are. So she's not she accepts. I think she accepts to Hoffren's read of who she is because he appreciates this spell that she's done. Mm-hmm. And but I don't in that in the musical I don't see her as losing an identity in the sense that she's not, you know, she says, you know, she sings, I've, I've done all of these things, but I've never really had a path. She doesn't feel a connection to any sense Mm -hmm. of self until she thinks of herself as being Mrs. Harris. So it's not so much. I mean, it undermines a little bit the the line from I'll never tell the name I made. I'll trade for his. She because in Mm -hmm. in I'll be his missus, she is not convinced that she's made a name for herself. She says, I like to bowl. I'm good at math. But who am I? She doesn't have Mm -hmm. a sense of herself until she starts to imagine this this wife persona that she seems really happy to inhabit because it is a caring role. Like she's caring for him and the space that they're in as she's singing. And she's almost creating this identity for herself out of out of him. I don't I don't read it as she's like being overshadowed by him in any way she is grasping at this person who happens to be there and sort of using him to expand upon what she feels is is minuscule if there at all you know she says who am i 
Well, she's a person who cares about the people around her, ultimately. Um, you know, and she sings about, well, what happens if they drift apart? And she has a plan for that. She will show him how much she loves him. And I don't read this at all as a kind of, you know, stand by your man no matter what song so much as a, I am a person with a lot of love to give. Mm-hmm. And I am now in a situation where I can give a lot of love. Um, I mean, it's very much a fantasy. Like she's and she's not seeing the whole picture. I mean, she doesn't yet have that sense of who Xander like who Xander is in terms of how he relates to her. You know, we haven't had the scene with Halfrek yet of you know, <laughs> so he talks down to you, you know, and Halfrick is kind of checking nice. her on all of these. This man with the big arms. Yeah, the yes. man with the big arms. Um, we haven't had that yet. Mm-hmm. So we're we're fully in Anya building herself an identity on the foundation of this person that she has clung to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't see. It's funny. I don't see her losing an identity. I see her trying to build an identity out of mm-hmm. something, um, you know, in the in the best way that she knows how. In the, it, you know, within the like hegemonic heterosexist, <laughs> you know, marriage industrial complex, because there's definitely yes. that as well. But I don't think in I, inherently I don't think there's anything identity erasing about wanting to be a wife or be of service to one's partner i don't i don't think that that's inherently um i don't think that's lesser i don't know like to me i i i see that as absolutely identity erasing like because it's not just that like i'm going to be a person who is part of a community i'm going to be a person who belongs i belong in this group this is my group everything is about him to where there is not much of her involved in her read of her life there's a difference between i want to be like a wife and a mother and I am fulfilled by that existence, but I'm, I'm still me because that's who I am. Like, I think that there's something different from that to, I will be his missus. This is what I am. Like I am his, I am his property. I am his missus. Like that's the thing that, that throws me off. And the next time I watch it, I really do. I want to try to experience your read on it because I think I'll like it more. Um, But as it is, my read on it, that whole thing just infuriates me from top to bottom. Like, I can't stand it. Um, But we get through like all of these, you know, we're going through all of these flashbacks. And actually, my favorite one of all the flashbacks is the Russian Revolution. Like this one where she's sitting with Halfrak, right? And Halfrak is talking to her and saying, there's a whole world going on. Like, yes, this is awesome that you killed all these people and that, you know, you you <laughs> basically sparked the Russian Revolution, which is a whole interesting story. Um, but you got to get out there. You got to live life. You got to experience things. And and again, we see Anya. And I love this where she says vengeance is what I do. Vengeance is who I am. 
like the difference between what she does and who she is, like there's no daylight there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that really interesting that, that she holds on to that sense of her own identity. And so then when she loses it at the end of the wish, right, she hops onto the next thing that's there. And that is Xander, you know, mm-hmm. and then she's riding the Xander identity. I am, I am his girlfriend. I am his, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I am going to be his missus. And then she becomes a vengeance demon again when that fails her in Hell's Bells. Um, so I, I, I love though, I mean, for somebody who's complained, done nothing but complain about this episode, I actually really do love it. I love the, not the flashbacks, <laughs> but I love the, the modern time, um, like work that Anya is doing. And we've seen this building up since the beginning of the season that she's sitting with Halfrek and she's having the intervention and she's not, you know, being inventive with her curses and with her vengeance. Um, and she's really trying to like figure out a way to, to do this the way that other people think that she should be. So to be a proper vengeance demon, she needs to go in and just destroy all of these, you know, um, all of these, these frat boys and do they deserve it? They all deserve it. Right. You know, um, so we've got this whole identity process for her, which actually I quite love. Um, and then here she is in the middle of all of this blood of everything that's going on. And when she is by herself, and there's nobody else there to define who she is or how she reacts. She is clearly not comfortable with what's going on. She is clearly trying to process everything and figure it all out. Willow shows up and Anya immediately snaps into, oh, have flayed anybody recently? Have we? You know, mm-hmm. um, and is throwing everything at Willow in this really defensive way. Um, and we see her, you know, fighting Buffy. You know, we always knew it was going to come to this. Like she, even when we see her struggling, whenever anybody else shows up, she puts on this bravado, you know, of like, here, here I am, I'm going to fight this. And then when DeHoffrin shows up and she says, I want to take it back, right? Mm. I want to take it back. I know what the cost is. I know it is the life and soul of a vengeance demon. I'm going to make that choice. And again, like these making a choice is the most like identifying thing that you do, I think in your life. And that we definitely do with characters in fiction. When a character makes a choice, that's when we find out who they are. And this is when she finds out who she is, that she traded her life for these kids who were terrible, you know, who had done like a truly, truly awful thing. Um, And then finally, I think that's when she gets her, like her sense of who she is. And then in the end, what if I'm nobody? What if I'm really nobody, you know? And it's funny because she doesn't say, what if I'm a nobody, meaning someone without consequence to the rest of the world, but just plain nobody. And then Xander calls her a dope and she says, I'm a dope. And he says, yes. And she goes, well, that's a start. And once again, allows him to define her as a dope. And just once in the end, I want her to be like, no, I don't think that fits and walk away. Like I would have loved in that one moment if she had rejected the identity that a man put on her. Um, But at the same time, it's, I think, a really beautiful moment and the loss of Halfrek. Um, which I absolutely love yeah. as a turn in the story. I think that so that good. is completely beautiful that she gets, she has a wish and we turn the knife, never go for the kill when you can go for the pain. 
Um, So all of that, I think, is so beautifully done. And quite honestly, it is the ending of this episode that makes me love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's so funny. I love that that last scene with Xander, too. Yeah. Because to me, in that moment, there's this acknowledgement that they really did love each other. Mm-hmm. There was some there they were not they were not going to make it for yeah. a number of reasons. And, you know, there were many, many, many ways in which he was not good to her. And I believe that he loves her. And yeah. when he says she says, what if I'm nobody? And he says, don't be a dope. She says, I'm a dope in this like. Yeah. I don't know. There's something really there's there's some it's almost like a goodbye to this love mm-hmm. story that they had. It's like they're seeing it's almost like they're seeing the connection that they could have had. Yeah. And didn't because they both were in their own heads about things or in their own I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but they it didn't have clarity until it was too late. Yeah, it's oh, I just I just love it. I think they it, to me, it speaks of the the love that was never meant to be, you know, forever mm-hmm. and ever. It was never meant to right. be till death do us part. But they did have a great connection in what it did for each of them. Right. A thing isn't beautiful because it lasts, right? From Age of Ultron, which, you know, is is another Joss Whedon thing. But yeah, yeah, this is okay. Anya has heroic moments. Anya has saved the day more than once, and she is never given a heroic moment. And here she's in a moment where she was trading her life for, um, you know, to fix a thing that she had broken, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is, I think, a heroic sacrifice. And then ends up watching her best friend be murdered painfully not just her body but her soul it is the life and soul of a vengeance demon Mm -hmm. um she's just gone through that knowing that that's her fault there's all of this weight on her and then she goes out and xander says you're a dope and she goes i'm a dope i guess i'll start there like no you know just once give anya her moment just once let her she's going to be ripped up in this moment because she just lost her best her only friend right you know Mm -hmm. and now where is she like for for a character who and and you know i like this read that you have of her desperate need for community for a character who needs community she's lost all of her community yeah you know um she's lost everything now she is is absolutely stripped down to nothing and then he calls her a dope and she's like okay let me just take this last insult from you uh coming on a pile of insults from you and start to define myself from it he says yeah and then she says i'm a dope and he says yes yeah no like i understand that he's trying to be nice to her but even when trying to be nice to her he's still mean to her that's so funny i don't i don't read it as meanness I don't, it's interesting to me that I don't read it as meanness. And I think I don't because she's so in her mistakes in that moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when she says, what if I'm nobody? And he says, don't be a dope. She is still, she's like, yeah, actually, that is exactly what I am because I have made <laughs> all of these mistakes. And that's why I'm standing yeah. here, you know, yeah. with her like bloody 
heart space, too. I love that that just remains for the rest of the episode. She's stabbed through the heart, and then she gets to play out the rest of the story with her her heart bleeding. It's a little bit symbolic, honey. Just a little. It's beautiful. Like, it's really really gorgeous. But what I love is she says, you know, when you say she's lost all of her community, yes, she's lost Halfrick. She's lost her only friend in a way you know who was truly hers it's funny to me too that that there's all of this reference to you know Buffy killing her friend meaning Anya Mm -hmm. and I'm like Anya and Buffy are not that close (laughs) you know they're not really friends but Halfrek and Mm -hmm. Anya I mean Halfrek is what is it? Shouldn't all my demon friends be here? And Halfrex says, oh, sweet, they, they are. are. She just has this one. Anya has this one friend who she loses completely, mm-hmm. eternally, because apparently Halfrex's soul is gone as well. But then the the nail in the coffin on that relationship is to Hoffren kicking her out of the fold, essentially, and mm-hmm. saying, look, you're, you know, I have dozens of other girls or whatever it is he said like she was special to him in the beginning because she Mm -hmm. did this vengeance spell with the troll element you know she she did something creative and unexpected and he made her feel special by acknowledging her and then when he when he frees her kicks when he kicks her out he basically says you're nothing you don't matter he strips I, I, her of her identity, which is her. She's externally, she's letting people outside of herself decide who she is. And she's been doing that from the beginning. And so the fact that all that's stripped away, you know, I think fair enough because she should be self-defined, you know. Should, well, um, why, I think why she should, should be self-defined. She be, I mean, because, I love that the episode yeah. is called Selfless. She has no, she has no sense of self. Because why? Like, where does that come from? She has this selflessness in the usual sense Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. we meet her as odd. She wants to she wants to give away essentially valuable property. I mean, her Mm -hmm. her rabbits out of the goodness of her heart because it feels good to do something for someone else. Mm -hmm. And Olaf laughs at her and tells her that that is illogical Mm-hmm. And that she's like a troll. So she's demonized for she's demonized for being selfless. I don't know. There's an interesting play on words there. Like she's yeah. she's demonized for being selfless. So then she looks outside of herself for definition to build a self that is more acceptable and accepted i guess i don't know it's very interesting this idea though this idea that that a person should have Mm -hmm. some sort of internal sense of self where does that come from i mean i you know i think that yeah your sense of yourself because you know what's right for you like you've ever had a gut feeling about something about what is right for you and what is not right for you and if you go with what other people tell you then you're out of alignment with who you are so you should at least know yourself now there are people who are very fulfilled by 
you know, serving their community and all of that. And that is who they are, but they are still self-defined. And I think that here we have, we're seeing Anya having gone through her entire life, which by the way, is no small thing. That's like 1200 years where she is defining herself through other people. I mean, even as a vengeance demon, she is defining herself. I am vengeance. Vengeance is what I do. Vengeance is who I am. Because Dahafrin told her that. And then she is using that sense of herself to serve, quote unquote, like these, you know, wronged women or whatever, that that's her particular flavor of vengeance, you know, um, and that that in that service, she is living honestly to who she is, but she's just living to what Dahafrin told her she was. She's, you know, she says at the end, I've hopped from one thing to another, you know, and she's mm-hmm. never really set her own pace. And I think that, you know, because the way people treat her, take your literal, you know, read, yeah. right? Because she, she reads literal interpretations. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That she is odd, right? She's yeah. odd, you know, um, she's different. And because she's different, she is removed from society and then looking for that society for other people to give her her value and her identity. Um, And I think that that's where that goes wrong. I don't think that that's a good thing. Well, but here's the thing. What I feel like the, the piece that's missing from this is if you are if you have a gut feeling about Mm -hmm. who you are or you have a gut feeling about what's right for you and that is at odds with everything that is around you. Mm -hmm. How do you how can you build a sense of self based on a gut feeling that literally everyone around you tells you is wrong? Everyone tells you to take your literal interpretations yeah. of your questions to the other side of the river. Like, to the other side of the river. Yeah. What do you do? Like how it is it is impossible if you're if what is, you know, what is in your gut or in your heart. Anya talks a lot about what's in someone's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, during the in the the 1905 flashback mm-hmm. when Halfrick says, I don't think this is what she had in mind. And Anya says, I don't know about her mind, but this was on this was what was in her heart. Yeah. She knows Anya knows what's in her heart, but what's in her heart is at odds with everything around her. Mm-hmm. So how do you build a sense of self when your instinct you know, your heart's desire, your gut instinct, whatever, is rejected. Well, that's terrible. And it's hard and it's painful. And being different, you know, often leads to that kind of of societal rejection. I think that's when you find your, you know, merry band of misfits. You go and hang out with other misfits who maybe will understand that experience. But at the same time, like, I don't think that the the answer to people being dicks and being mean to you because you're different is to mold yourself into what they want from you. Now, that said, I'm a person who has done that a great deal in my life, you know, um, personally to gain acceptance. Um, you know, I have molded myself around what other people have have wanted me to be or what I have felt that they wanted me to be. Um, so, you know, entirely my read of this is probably colored by that experience, which I've always felt to be less than genuine. And then when I started discovering who I really was, a lot of those things that I built my life upon, which were about other people, 
um, you know, fell apart. And I found that I got joy from being like genuinely aligned with myself. So I'm sure that like a lot of my read in this comes from that personal experience, as does, you know, this is how we read stories mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Like everybody pulls from their their personal experience. I think it's a really, really interesting question. Um, and I'd love to hear what people think about it, but we got to move on because this is, you know, going to be a really, really long <laughs> episode of this. Um, but I really do love that, that although this is primarily an Anya episode, we do have little identity stories kind of happening in the background. Um, we have Spike in the basement, you know, like wrapped up in his own torment. We get one little scene with Spike, um, but he is struggling with his role, with his identity, with a fake Buffy, you know? Um, yeah. And Fascinating that, is, that he is more lucid talking to fake Buffy, too. Yes. That's no, it's really interesting. I love, too, that fake Buffy, who we know, you know, those of us who have watched the whole thing, which is hopefully everybody because it's a fully spoiled podcast, um, is the first. This is the first. This is not just evil, Buffy. This is the first evil. This is the original evil, original recipe evil, who is sitting there talking to him, wearing a white shirt, which is a, a, like traditionally associated with goodness and purity. Then we have our real Buffy walking in completely in black, right? Looking, <laughs> looking more like Faith than Buffy. Looking more in. like Faith than Buffy. Stomps in and says, get your ass out of this basement. This is not helping anything. And just stomps away, you know? Um, and it's, it's funny to me because here we have Spike who is always like wrapped up in the narrative of his identity. I'm going to, I've got a whole bunch of like clips of Spike that, that we're going to, Jack's going to put those together and run those now. You should know better than to tempt the fates that way. Cause the big bad is back. And this time. And what can I tell you, baby? I've always been bad. I know I'm a bad poet, but I'm a good man. I know you never love me. I know that I'm a monster. But you treat me like a man. I may be dirt. But you're the one who likes to roll in it, Slayer. And you keep playing with the rules you make up as you like. You know what I am. You've always known. It's the chip. Steel and wires and silicone. You won't let me be a monster. And I can't be a man. So all of this, if anyone has a, a narrative sense of identity, he is constantly telling the story of who he is and what he is and reaffirming himself. Um, the irony of Spike being stuck between this space, can't be a monster, can't be a man. Um, he chooses man, right? He goes and gets his soul. And ironically, it makes him even more stuck because now that he has the soul, he understands why he can never be a man, why he's always going to be stuck in that, in that place. Um, and then we get this duality between evil comforting him and then good kicking his ass and saying, get up and get your shit together, you know? Um, and he is trying to figure out where he fits in this whole thing. And for the first time does not have a narrative of identity is completely lost in that space. And I kind of love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's fascinating too. When Buffy comes in, when real Buffy comes in yeah, and we have this moment of, Oh shit. Like what is going on? Like there's clearly more going on with Spike than mm -hmm. we've been privy to 
before this. I mean, we've had some sense that like Spike is really going through it, you guys. But when Spike is talking to the first who's dressed as this like soft, flowy, bohemian Buffy, he is, I mean, he is so much more clearer than he is when he's talking to real Buffy and it's just, you know, we're back in this, like it's deep POV, but it's like deep emotional POV too. Yeah. Which Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about speaking to identity. Yeah. Damn. It's so, it's so interesting. I love it. We give just that one little bit of spike and it's absolutely beautiful. I also love what's going on with Willow in this episode is that here we have Willow after having gone through like quite a transition in identity, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Comes back and is going back to college, the place where, you know, she started. Um, And we're seeing this fight between, you know, regular Willow and dark Willow. When she goes back to campus, I mean, she is not just regular Willow. She is throwback to high school Willow. Like she's not dressing like she did in early college with like the cool T-shirts and the funky hair. Um, But like she did in high school, like she's got a simple shirt. She's got a colorful skirt. She's got opaque leggings. I mean, she is reaching back in time to start from that identity and move into whatever it is that she's going to be. Then we have that moment with a crying girl, her eyes go black and she snarls at this suffering kid. And when she's in the middle of the magic with the spider, you know, Mm -hmm. and dark willow is always under the surface. But then when she calls to Hoffren, she's not interested in his praise or that the vengeance fold is talking about her. Like she has no interest in any of that. She is just trying to help Anya and she is focused on Anya. She wants to roll back Anya's identity. She tells Dehofer and Anya doesn't want to be a vengeance demon anymore. Go and make her not a vengeance demon, you know? Um, and I also love that Willow is bossing Dehofer around and telling him what to do. Um, that's really fun. The two of them together are just delightful. I, I love that know. he comes Ms. in Rosenberg. doing this whole Dehofer thing and then he sees yes. her. Oh, Miss Rosenberg. I also enjoy the detail that we cleared the house of magical items when Willow mm-hmm. was going through her recovery process, but apparently we missed DeHoffren's business card. Oh, yeah. Business amulet. His, his business amulet. <laughs> his yeah. business amulet. I like it. I love that. I love that not only does she still have it, but she knows which junk drawer to look in to find it. Exactly. And mm-hmm. I love the, the, we don't get to see it, but ostensibly willow advocated for anya yeah off camera which i appreciate i love i love the willow anya story i want more willow and anya please willow and anya are so great but i i mean at the same time to comes in and says willow wants this for anya you want this for anya you know xander wants that for anya has anybody mm-hmm. asked Anya and nobody yeah. has and I actually really appreciate that from DeHoffren is that he's being like all right Anya here is your moment define yourself and she says undo it yeah I will pay the price undo it and that is the defining moment for Anya and I love it yeah um we get some identity with Buffy too uh Buffy is the only one in this episode who is completely clear on who she is and what she has to do and I am the slayer and the slayer is always alone oh god I hate it so much (laughs) yeah it's this whole fight, and then we go back, of course, to this reference of the end of Becoming when Xander went to Buffy and said, Willow says, kick his ass. 
Um, And that Buffy didn't know that Willow didn't say that this whole time. Willow didn't know that Xander had told Buffy that this whole time. Uh, So we have this moment where Buffy says, I loved Angel and I sacrificed him. I would have given anything to be with him. And I killed Angel, not Angelus, you know. Um, And she's reminding him of the sacrifice that she made, um, which I think is a fair play. You know? Except that it's not, because when Angelus mm-hmm. was just Angelus killing people, Buffy didn't kill him. Mm-hmm. Anya is Anya killing people. Anya's Anyanka killing people, and we have to kill her. Buffy only killed Angelus when the world was in peril, but when right. people were dying... She didn't. Well, she couldn't. I mean, remember that? I think it was it was at the end of one of the episodes where she says, I, I'm sorry. I think it was at the end of Passion. I couldn't kill him, but I will. Like, I just have to. She just had to work it up. And you know what? Fair enough. Like, that would have been really difficult. And then when she killed him, she didn't kill Angelus. She killed Angel. Angel was back. The yeah. man that she loved, he was back. They had done it. And then she had to kill him then. So making that sacrifice then is even more, you know, terrifying. And oh, my God, Jack, you should play close your eyes under this because it makes me weepy just to think about it. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so hard. Yeah, I actually like I'm completely like I'm with Buffy in this one. She, oh. you know, she knows what Anya's done. She Anya is, you know, killing a lot of people. And that's what Buffy does if Anya wasn't going to kill more people Buffy would leave her alone but when Anya is going to kill people she has to go and do this and you know and she's right the Slayer is alone she has to make these calls because nobody else can and I just roll my eyes because I feel like Xander is so correct that when you know when our friends are going through it we help them and Buffy's like well Willow's human and Anya's a demon and i'm like wait a second we have well, been through still this magical before. though yeah like we have been through this so many times before and i just i don't accept it i don't appreciate it i don't like it i don't you know what i think that's a fair call <laughs> i think that's a fair call because uh, the thing is that willow was magical and that's the difference it's not was she born you know, she's not a she's not a demon. She is a human, but she is also a witch. And a witch is under, you know, Buffy's supernatural jurisdiction by these rules. So the fact that she that they helped Willow instead of, you know, killing Willow at the same time, Buffy did throw down with Willow and was ready to take Willow down. It wasn't until Giles came in. You know, and and Willow sent a fireball after, you know, after Dawn that that Buffy, you know, ran off. But she was throwing down with Willow. So, yeah, she tried to help Willow more than she tried to help Anya. But yeah, Buffy, Buffy has this sense of rightness and correctness, which I think she absolutely should as the character that Mm -hmm. she is. Like, I think it's very much in character for her. But I see it shift a lot and i don't love it when buffy uh, yeah, like, she hasn't killed spike right? i don't think buffy's certainty is a good thing <laughs> so is, that's you know what yeah fair enough fair like, enough i think that you're i think that you're right on that i think that her i understand why she has to retreat into certainty now 
that she's got a friend. She's got somebody she cares about on the line who's killing people. Um, and I think that I can see her doing that because she feels like this is her duty. This is what she has to do. And when you have to do something you do not want to do, you can justify and harden yourself in order to do that. Um, at the same time, I feel like she has a fair point with the fact that she killed the person that she loved most in the world to save everybody else. And that, you know, this is something that she has been charged with, like it or not. She is the one who has to make these decisions. She doesn't get to just be like, oh, well, you know, um, wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to kill my friends? Like, you know, I think that it's um, I think that it's it's uh, you've got a point, too. Definitely. But I, I feel for Buffy on on this one. And I find it really interesting that she is pretty much the only one who has that that really strong sense of self. Um, but OK, so here we are. We're at the end. What's your favorite part? Oh, it's Anya's song. <laughs> My favorite part is your least favorite part. I That's okay. Love it. I, I love, love it. I love the musical number. I love mm -hmm. the I love the emotional hit of it. And I love the way we come out of it by with that hard cut, not letting her finish the song yeah. because she never got to finish that that mm -hmm. fantasy for her life. It's so yeah. good. I love it. It is. I, I hate it, but I I love that you love it. I love that you love it because then I feel like not quite so bad about hating it. I love the moment that DeHoffrin takes Halfrick, that we have that like wonderful, oh, yeah. dark turn in which everything is played fair. You know that the cost is the life and soul of a vengeance demon. Yep. He does not say your life and soul. He plays completely fair. Is this what you want to do? And she says yes. And then there's that. The consequence of her finally saying what it is that she wants, regardless of what other people expect of her, and she gets slapped in the face for it. And isn't that yeah. just the way? And I fucking love it. Oh, God, it's so good. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter. Follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag StillPretty. Patreon Chipperish supporters are getting exclusive content like Let's Watch Roulette, where Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd and I react to a randomly chosen movie or TV show for $5 and up supporters, while $10 and up supporters get to attend show recordings live and sit and chat with us about, you know, identity and stuff. It's really fun. Um, once we hit 500 supporters, we will unlock the monthly chip chat where I will host a private one hour Zoom call open to every supporter to talk about whatever y'all want to talk about. So if you haven't pledged your support yet, now is the time. Go to patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more speaking of supporters this episode of still pretty was brought to you by the chipperish media producers who support us on patreon at the power producer level these people are the reason why still pretty is coming to you free and ad free right now so thank you to abigail alice christina erica jonathan kevin Kristen, rose shelly stefania and stephanie and this week's special message to our power producers, hide your babies and your beadwork! <laughs> <laughs>